My guest this week in his six-decade career has written for many of the most popular comedies in television. The Jeffersons, The Facts of Life, Hollywood Squares, but he's best known for his three and a half years on Cheers and his two years on one of my favorite shows, the cult hit Sledgehammer. It was a great talking to Brian Pollock. The conversation picks up right after I asked him who were his early inspirations. TV. Watching. Oh, I, that's easy. The, the Honeymooners. That was a show that I, I knew episodes backwards and forwards. And the, the wonderful thing about television is you can work on a number of shows in a short period of time. And during those periods, when you work on a bunch of different shows, you can meet, there's like eight people in the business. And on Sledgehammer, our um, creative consultant was Leonard Stern. And Leonard Stern, I'm sure you, you know who he was. He had written all the great, you know, um, with his partner, Sid Zelenka, they wrote some of the best honeymooners. And at one point, um, I'm, we had to write an episode with Leonard in his office on La Cienega. He had Price, Stern, and Sloan Publishing was his company. And so we went up there and we were working on an episode. And, and I'm sitting in his office and above his desk is the award for the $64,000 answer. This one of the classic Honeymooners episodes. And I'm quoting lines from it. And, and I'm just like gushing over him. And he said, you know what? You know more of the script than I knew the entire episode, you know, all the different parts anyway. So those are the wonderful things about television that you can experience something like that, you know, because like I said, it's one degree of separation from so many great people, you know. Who wrote Swanee River? What's that? Who wrote Swanee River? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Ed Norton. <laughs> just brilliant just brilliant the stuff holds up and and um you know to be in his company you know and to have him that's how we got on this is a good place to insert uh the experience of how we got on sledgehammer we uh um i had written some variety shows my partner at the time had written on sctv and uh you know we were looking to get on a on a on a staff we were doing mostly freelance and Alan Spencer, who created Sledgehammer, I had worked with him a couple of years before on a show. In fact, I hired him. One day, I, you know, I, I read in Variety or one of the papers that, you know, he sold the show Sledgehammer. And uh, so I, we had the same agent at the time. And I called up Paige and I said, hey, you know, why won't we submit it? Oh, I forgot about you guys. And I said, yeah, I know Alan. I want to meet with him. So it, we got a meeting with Alan and Bill D'Angelo, who was the executive producer at the time. And they said, God, we, we have a staff already, but we'll give you an episode. So you know, I I'll never forget this. It was the 4th of July weekend. And we had to have it written by the Monday following or whatever. So we worked all night, wrote this script and turned it in. And they gave it to Leonard Stern and he read it. And he said, why aren't they on staff? So that's how we got on staff. And we were the only two, the only team to last both seasons. Um, Mike and Al went off to do Alf and, um, and the others went to other shows or whatever. But, you know, the, it's all sort of luck and timing and being able to deliver at that, you know, at that moment. And I had a great time on that show. I mean, it was fun and Alan's, did you have you interviewed Alan? No, he doesn't do interviews. And I've remained pretty good friends with Alan. I'm Facebook friends with him. Oh yeah, he's he's a good guy. He's so ahead of people that you know. I mean, he really is a terrific writer, and and, and I get to work with Alan and with Sam Simon, who I considered a god at the time. And, you know, and that's the. You know, that's the satisfaction, I think, is getting, you know, the um, the affirmation from people that you really respect. Mm. Charles Brothers. For the Charles Brothers to say, hey, nice job, is like, wow, you know, 
it's the, you know, the money's good at times, you know, and the perks are nice, but it's that positive feedback that you get. You know, I, I grew up on, you know, I'm, I'll be 72 in a couple months. I grew up on TV, the golden age of TV. And it was, and I was always around it. I mean, I was a, I started out and when I got out of college, I was holding cue cards for shows. And, you know, every chance I'd get, I'd go up to the producers and pitch myself, you know, Hey, look, if you're ever looking for another writer, let me, you know, I'll work for free, you know, and if you don't like the stuff, you know, <laughs> but you do what you have to do. So, um, I, everybody has their own way of getting in, I guess. If I was a Nepo kid, you know, I could get, get in that way. I've seen that a lot too. Um, but we can talk about that on another episode. But <laughs> I went to Pickett the other day and I looked like ancient compared to these writers. They just seem so young, you know, but this, I had that, my t-shirt on that said, I survived the 1988 Writers Guild strike. And this guy came up to me and said, oh, wow, you know, I want to thank you guys for what you did to get us this, you know, so it was nice and met some people and I'm still writing, you know, I screenplays that I can't get anybody to read, but, you know. So some of the things when you look, when you research people, they might not be actually something that they did. Did you work on the Horror Hall of Fame? Yeah, so I was, I was a PA. Okay. I worked for Rothman and Wall Productions. That was like my... I got that job because I was doing cue cards on a show they were producing called Sandy Duncan in Disneyland. So we had to spend like the weekend in Disneyland, um, you know, shooting the show. And in those days, it wasn't like, it wasn't on digital, it was, you know, videotape. So if you did a song, you had a, you know, a video truck and it would always break down. And, you know, we were, you know, I was at Disneyland until four in the morning and it was, but the two producers, I got along with them. We joked around and they said, hey, kid, if you ever want a job, you know, look us up. So I said, yeah, you know, it's a way of getting in. And it was one, it was one of those jobs where come in and work. We can't pay you this week, you know, because we haven't gotten our money from ABC or whatever. I didn't care. I just wanted to be around these, these writers. And I learned a lot. And we did a show called the Horror Hall of Fame. I got to, and then I worked with Vincent Price on that. And then years later, I worked with him on the Hollywood Squares. So kind of knew him. And uh, yeah, it, I, I, I saw that credit the other day on, on IMDb. And God, I totally, and there's half the stuff I've forgotten about that I did. And some that aren't on there. Like I did the new Love American style and, you know, all these below the radar shows because you have to, you know, work where you can game shows. I did a lot of game shows, which was, you know, very lucrative. The Hollywood squares I did. And at the same time, they would allow me to do other shows. So I would do the Hollywood squares. Then I was doing the Jim neighbors variety show. And mm -hmm. I would come in at, I would go do that show. And then I'd go back to the Hollywood squares office at like midnight, turn in my jokes and questions. And then, you know, the, the Jim neighbors show is all on Amazon prime now. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Everything is. I did this. We did the show called Sister Sister, one of the last, you know, sitcoms we did, and it's on Netflix now. And I, oh, this is great! I'll make all this change. You know, I'm, these checks are going to start rolling in. You know, I, I, I think that's why you guys are on strike because they're not rolling it from Netflix. Yeah, it's like because I figure you know, it's streaming. You can watch it anytime you want. You can watch it as many times as you want. You can share it. You can do all. How do they, you know, how do they police that? Where's the transparency? And there is, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so, um, yeah, but yeah. Um, I was gonna ask you about Hollywood squares. Um, so your child TV, so you got to work with, uh, George Jessel, right? George Goebel. I worked with George Goebel. I have a, a George Goebel story. If you would okay. like to hear that. Yeah. Um, when, uh, the last year of the, of the Hollywood squares, um, they did it in Las Vegas. Yeah. So we would commute back and forth. We'd go up to like five show we weeks or two weeks worth of shows and we'd fly back, write them and, and do that every other week. And George would had his son, uh, Greg was kind of just like a valet, you know, would watch him and everything. And we'd shoot the show. And then after the show, you know, people gamble or whatever. George would go to the 
blackjack table or wherever and just get hammered. I mean, this guy, and they were just bringing him drinks and he's, and Greg is saying, no, Dad, don't put that much money out or, you know, don't hit on tens or, you know. <laughs> Finally, I'd say, okay, it's time for George to go upstairs, get him in bed. So one day I'm walking through the casino and Greg says, Brian, Brian, can you help me with my dad? He's just, he's gone. And okay. And so I walk him, let's bring him to the elevator. It's okay. He leans him up against the elevator and he pushes the button to do a physical. Hold on. Okay, Greg, good seeing you. No, can you help me? Come on, get him up, up to this room. So we get him into the elevator, put the button, they go upstairs, get him out of the elevator, get him to the door of his hotel. Okay, Greg, I had to go back to the ceiling. You know, could you help me bring him inside? <laughs> so he brings him inside. Puts, he said, takes him into the bathroom, help me get him in the bathroom, unzips his pants. <laughs> and Far enough for me, I'm done. But. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm going to write home to my mom. Hey, mom, I just met George Goble and he peed on my shoes, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I guess if I, people have told me, you know, you, you need to write something up and all these sort of anecdotes you know, over the years, because it wasn't just the writing, it was the production assistant and the cue cards and all those different, you know, I saw everything from so many different angles. Like for instance, that I'll get off the subject, the cue card thing after this, I was, um, used to do uh, <clears throat> work for this company who were, they were probably one of the biggest cue card companies at the time. And they had all these shows and the, the the owners of the company were like five guys, and sometimes they would they would work. And there was one guy, Larry Roslow, who used to do the uh, Sonny and Cher show. And I was across the hall doing the Young and the Restless, the soap opera. And one day, Larry, who hold the, held the cards for, for Cher, he had to go to a, a dentist appointment, and he couldn't hold the cards for the rehearsal. So he said, Brian, you have to go do it. So I go across the hall. I get the cards. She comes up. She comes out. Looks at me and says, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> oh, I'm here for Larry. <laughs> well, it was, you know those little stories that I, you know, that I could put in pamphlet form or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any red button stories? Well, no, I don't. But but my wife did his makeup. He hit on her. <laughs> she's a makeup artist before she met me so she has a red button story <laughs> he never got a dinner though never had a dinner no. uh, I, yeah I'm not a huge fan of red buttons I mean you know I guess he's done a couple of you know movies that, Rosemary lovely lady Roe we called her um, Debbie Reynolds wanted me to fix wanted to fix me up with her daughter at one time, which I thought was, you know, hey, you should meet my daughter. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, no, it's just like I was saying, there's just so many things that happen in such a short period of time, you know, that I, half of them I've forgotten. My Paul daughter. Lind probably was like the biggest people, the person that people ask you about. They do. And, and I was actually at his home when he they found out he was dead. See, here's another story. We were doing this show, Jay Reddick, who was the producer of the Hollywood Squares, had this idea to do this show called Knock Knock. And it was, you would go to celebrities' homes and just knock on the door and catch them in their bathrobe or whatever. It was never sold. Anyway, Paul was supposed to be the one person that we came to knock on the door and they were knocking and there was no answer. And then finally, yeah, they realized, hey, you know, they heard their, his dog, Alfred, barking, and they got somebody to come over and open the door, and he was, uh, he was gone. Yeah. How was that a not known story? <laughs> I think they had something in the National Enquirer about he had, like, you know, amyl nitrates were near his bed, and that he had, you know, some kind of heart attack because he was popping those, which I can believe. He was, he, he was... And I've talked to other people who've worked with him, and they said the same thing. He's just, he, he would drink a lot, and then he would, you know, 
Buddy Hackett was the same way. If he had anything to drink, he just got hostile. Yeah. The big story, the one that Gilbert Gottfried loves to tell, if you ever listened to his podcast, was that he would get, Poland would get hostile and anti-Semitic when he drank. Who would? Paul Lind? Oh, yeah. 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 He, oh, bring that up. There, Harry Friedman was another writer on the show. And uh, what we do is we, in between shows, we would brief them on, you know, things like, you know, the, the, question, the question is going to be about art history and a good bluff would be blah, 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 whatever. So um, at one, one time he got the joke wrong or Harry gave him the wrong joke with the, I don't know, he got screwed up in between the break. He, he took a, one of those sand-filled ashtrays and threw it at Harry and said, you dirty kike. Wow. Because what, what happens is that we would shoot five shows a day. We'd shoot three, and then we'd have a dinner break, and that's when he would drink. Right. So if, we, if we watch Thursday and Friday shows, he's always you, – you heard that's you heard about that? Because I yeah. think Peter Marshall is all – who, who we used on Sledgehammer. Peter Marshall would told this, that all that stuff to uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Plus, Anson Williams told me about his uh, experiences as well when he was a guest on the show. Yeah, no, it was great. I, I I talk about this with my friends, my wife, and stuff. And I realized, God, all these people that I met, these huge movie stars, big movie stars, would do the show. And you know, now I watch TCM all the time, and I like Alexis Smith did a Cheers episode. You know, I knew of her, but I didn't know of her. I mean, she's Bogart, and she was a major star, and she's doing my episode. It was, you know, it was nice. Well, Hollywood Square's Match Game Hour. That's Is that where you met Mert? Kind of. I think, yeah. I, I, no, did I meet Mert there? No. I think so. That's where we met. That's right. That was uh, the first. Oh, and we were, we each had different offices, and we both no, we smoked cigars, and I had an office with someone, and he had another woman, and he was with, and they hated cigar smoke, so we wound up together, and that's how we, he said, hey, why don't we write together? He had just gotten off of SCTV, and uh, we were looking to write half hours. I had done a few before him, like the Jeffersons and the Love Boat, and then, you know, we, we wrote a spec we wrote a spec movie, and then we wrote a spec Family Ties episode or Golden Girls or something, something that got us an agent, a pretty good agent, and you know that kind of got us rolling. That. Yeah, I had Phil Collard on too. He that's probably yeah. Well, the Phil Kellard story. Did he tell you the Hollywood Squares story of him? How he, he how he got canned off the Hollywood squares. Oh, no, he was with Tom Moore. That's why he... They, oh, he, okay, okay. Well, there's an... He, when he was a solo act, um, the, the, the way the dynamic was at the Hollywood squares was he either wrote just questions or you wrote jokes and questions, but never just jokes and never, you know, you, you had to keep working on something. Anyway. He was up. The show was so big, and they had so many game shows on at the same time. It had like three levels, three floors of this huge office building on the Sunset Strip. And Phil was in the upper penthouse where also Jay Reddick was, and Merrill Heater and Bob Quigley, who were the owners of the show, where they were. And Phil, and I don't blame him, he didn't write questions because he didn't want to. And he would sit in his office, and when it got time to everybody to meet and Jay's writing office, we would all get in there and pitch jokes. One day, Merrill Heater is walking by the office, Phil's office, and Phil has got his feet up on his desk and he's reading the variety. <laughs> and Merrill Heater goes into Jay Reddick's office and says, who's that guy reading? Oh, he's Bill Keller. He's one of the writers. Fire him. And they just fired him. And he had been there for a few years. It was the weirdest thing, and he was, boom, was gone. So uh, that was Phil's Hollywood ex Squares experience. It could be, you know. Your your Jefferson was just on last week, by the way, on uh, BET. Oh, yeah? My yeah. episode? Yeah. Guess who's not coming to dinner? 
Yeah. Oh, the, and there's, here's a perfect, another odd thing that happened to us. My writing partner at the time was a guy named Rick Shaw. And so we had gone in to pitch to the Jeffersons, to David Lee. It was David on the show. David was on the show, but we didn't pitch to him. We pitched to these other guys, Mike Milligan and Jay Moriarty. And, and, and so we pitched him the idea, oh, sorry guys, there's nothing we can use. So a couple months go by and I'm watching TV and CBS is promoting the next week's episode of the Jeffersons. And it's a story that we pitched where Florence hires her own maid and they, and George draws a line down the middle of the, that was our thing. So I call up my agent, the agent at the time. And he said, well, let me call them. He calls them up, get, let us go through their notes. They go through their notes and say, you know, you're right. Sometimes we hear things that we don't know where we hear them, blah, blah. So they said, well, we'll give you another assignment. They gave us another assignment. They got nominated for an NAACP image award. <laughs> but they stole it. Let's be honest. They stole that idea. You are not the first writer who told the same about the same exact story about the Jeffersons. Yeah, it's see, it's it the writer's guild says that there has to be someone in the room when you pitch that can buy. So I think we were just pitching to people who had no authority to say yes. Sir. And then, yeah, we heard, you know, we don't want to give these guys an assignment, but listen to them, Go, you know, maybe they'll come up with something, but the, their excuse was, you know, as at least they cop to it. It was, you know, well, we hear so many stories. We don't know where it comes from. It, it happens every, you know, anyway. So, you know, we got the episode anyway and the residuals and all that. Uh, and then no. an episode of Facts of Life and Three Love Boats. Three Love Boats, yeah. Did you write all three stories for each? No, no, you write. There's a comedy episode, then there's a, kind of a melodrama kind of thing, and, and then a romantic one, I guess. And they insert them because it's an hour show, but they which is nice because they pay you more than a half hour, but less than an hour. Hmm. So it's like 45 minutes or something. But those were fun because the reason we got those is that Art Bear and Ben Jolson, who were the big writers on the show, Art Bear was Rick Shaw's wife's uncle. So that's how we got in to pitch. And, you know, he helped us on that. Those were early on, but we did like the, the love the new love American style and, you know, other shows that, you know, you know I had Arnold Margolin on the creator of the original love American style. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that you're too young to remember that. But. What was your favorite sledgehammer that you wrote? Uh, the first one, maybe I think it was Dory day afternoon. That was about, you know, a spoof of uh, dog day afternoon, but then we did one. Oh, the old man in the sledge. That was fun, and uh, and the one with Peter Marshall, where he kills off all the winners when once they get to, <laughs> to the jack. They were all fun, actually, you know. But I, you know, when you're in a staff, you write on all. Everybody writes on, yeah. you know, they they get their two cents in. But um, David you know, Rashi is so funny. Yeah. He's a good actor too. I mean, he does comedy better than anybody, and he can also be menacing. You know, it's, uh, I forgot what the movie. What was the movie that Alan saw him in? That I'm trying to think. He was in some film, and he played a bad guy. And Alan said, "Oh, he's a great sledgehammer." And then we had uh, Anne Marie Martin, who played. She was just great, and then her husband was Michael Crichton. He'd come to the set, you know. <laughs> brilliant guy you know yeah great experiences really the captain oh, oh harrison page harrison page who was he was there this is, talk about great moments in hollywood he was there when johnny carson walked onto don rickles set when don rickles broke his uh, cup on the tonight show oh, really he was because he was on cpo cpo sharky well right right that's right yeah, good guy. We used him on, uh, I think we used him on an episode. God, I know we worked with him. 
again, we, we cast them in something we were doing. I don't know if it was a pilot or, God, I can't remember. I can't remember now, but we used them again on a show. I, maybe it was an episode of Rock. I think so. We, Samuel L. Jackson did Rock. Um, Jamie yeah. Foxx. With, yeah, Jamie, we fired Jamie Foxx. That story I, I heard, yes. That was, uh, Mert probably told you that. We, yeah. Because uh, Stan Daniels was, you know, he, he couldn't pass a kidney stone. So we would go to the set and do the, the rehearsal and, and HBO had a satellite truck at his house and they'd beam the rehearsal to him at his house while he is trying to pass this kidney stone. And he saw this one dress rehearsal, called us over to his house. He said, you gotta get rid of that, that character. And why? He said, well, because he seems like he's in a different show. You know, I mean, he was an in living color guy and then he came onto that and he was a little too, you know. And uh, so they, they got rid of him and then Garrett, um, Garrett Morris was on the show. Um, and then Jamie Foxx blows up to this, you know, megastar. Uh, same thing with Lisa Kudrow. We, when we did, uh, she did an episode of Cheers. We had to keep cutting her lines because it seemed just wasn't working. You know, it was, I think it, you know, in the end she had a, you know, two lines. We, we discovered Thomas Hayden Church. We got him his gig over at uh, uh, the Wings. You know, it's uh, a lot of history in my uh, my writing career. <laughs> God, I, I love the uh, Cheers episode that you guys wrote with um, Annie and uh, Cliff. Their romance. That was the one that got us the job. It, you know, got what happened. We went in. Everybody wanted that job, that staff job on Cheers because the, the David Angel, may he rest in peace, Bill Steinkellner and, and his wife Sherry were gonna take over the show and run it. And it was the most coveted job. Everybody was sending their script to them. People were, I'll leave this show, just get me on that show. And Chuck Braverman was a friend who directed few episodes of Sledgehammer and he said, hey, I know Sherry Eichen. I did something with her and her husband. Why don't I call her and, you know, give you, you know, hey, these guys are great. You should meet with them. So he calls her up and he says, who? They go, who? He says, Brian and, and, and Merck, you know, they're really funny guys. And I just worked with, I worked with them on Sledgehammer. Well, they sent, we had, we had written a Golden Girls that we sent as a sample. And they said, who's looking at them? And they said, well, it was Barry Zajac. We thought Barry Zajac was this big executive, but he was like the writer's assistant. And he was just compiling all these scripts. Well, they find our script and they pull it from the bottom of the pile and put it on the top. And they read it and they liked it. And they said, come in and if you and you can pitch some ideas. But we have to tell you, no one that we know of has ever come in and sold a story off the street. You know, it just doesn't happen. But if they like something, they'll... So they said, but here's a hint, come up with a cliff story. It's hard to find stories for, for cliff. So my wife, my first wife at the time was a teacher and she had to be a mentor teacher to a, another person. So what if cliff, you know, has to mentor a new, and they have this obsession with the post office and they fall in love or whatever happens. So they liked it and they said, okay, here, you know, We'll pitch it to the Charles brothers and see if they want to go ahead. So they said, yeah, here's the story. So we went out and be, we beat the story out with them. Came back, we turned in the script and they, and, and Charles was that they loved it and they want you guys to come on staff. And that was how we got the job. It wasn't like, you know, oh, you know, have our agent call and be, it was like all this sort of coincidental stuff, you know, and. I think that's how it happens a lot of times, unless you have an in with somebody and they say, I want you, you have to, you know, do whatever you can. We got lucky. And that show was nominated for a, a Writers Guild Award. And um, yeah, it was nice. It was, 
I'll, I'll never forget the phone call. I got a phone call. I was picking my daughter up from Hebrew school. And I got a phone call from Jim Burroughs. Brian, it's Jimmy. Uh, you're going to get a call from Les Charles. Oh, great. Sure enough, I get a call. Oh, we'd love you to join the staff. My, great job. And it was like, fuck, celebration time. No, I mean, it, it just yeah. changed everything. Everything. Number one show in America. Yeah. And, you know, and then we, I, after our, our show aired, the first show aired, I got a call from Sam Simon, who I'd never met before. And he calls me up and he says, hey, I just watched the show you guys wrote. And I think you did a great job. And I'm glad that they hired you because the show needed new blood and blah, blah, blah. That was our introduction to Sam Simon. And then years later, we got to work with him on George Carlin's show. Annie was just perfect in that role. Well, she's so talented. I mean, I was like, God, I saw you in hair in the movie. You know, I was like, yeah, it was nice. Yeah, How to Marry a Male. And the first one was Please, Mr. Postman. Right, and then there's the one where he goes blind. Yeah. That was, I think that wasn't that How to Marry a Male? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, he has, you know, uh, what do they call it? Uh, something blindness. Uh, he falls in the pool. <laughs> And Francis Sternhagen, who plays his mom. I mean, all these great, great, all these great actors that, you know, John Cleese and, you know, um, God, who else? And then they would get, you know, political figures from Boston and baseball players and basketball players. And everybody wanted to do the show. That's the thing, you know, they want to. You know. I have a picture with Mert and I and, and William J. Crowell. He was in, the, and he had the black thing. We, you know, he's walking around Paramount Studio with that black phone that they have. You know, mm -hmm. there's a nuclear attack. <laughs> and I get every now and then he had to go out and check it to make sure it worked. I mean, it looked like you know some Rube Goldberg kind of contraption. You know, <laughs> this a dial phone. It's all. <laughs> um, Tom Leopold was uh, the joke writer for Mike Pence. He was on Air Force Two. <laughs> what, what, what jokes did Mike Pence ever tell? Like when he would do a speech, like the, an opening joke. Oh, yeah. So he, he went with them in Air Force Two, and the nuclear football was there. And he, he was like a little freaked out by that. Yeah. It's like Rob Long, the same thing. You know, man, I don't know if he's changed, but you could come into the, you know, they, it's just the weirdest thing. You'd come in, He'd be sitting at the on the sofa reading the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> I'd be reading Mad Magazine if I were in a comedy room. I don't <laughs> the Wall Street Journal. And I love his partner Dan Staley. He's a wonderful guy. Yeah, everybody. We got along. You know, you have to. <laughs> You're in a room with them for twelve hours sometimes. Um, what was your favorite Cheers episode of all times? I think uh, Coach's daughter. Oh no! I meant that you wrote. Coach I, is a great. Um, Coach's door is a great episode. I liked. Um, Please make the postman. It was our first one, and it got a lot of, you know, um, notice. I think oh, the one with uh, with um, Madeline Osborne. She plays a psychiatrist, and Sam fakes impotence in order to. The good one. I like that one a lot. The one with uh, Alexis Smith was good. Oh, the one with uh, Leonard, uh, with uh, Sheldon Leonard in The Hungry Heifer, where mm. he, wants, he wants Norm to burn down The Hungry Heifer. Mm. <laughs> and that's another iconic guy. I mean, he created what we were doing, the multi-camera, on the stage where he did Lucille Ball, where they did the I Love Lucy. In fact, I don't know if Mert mentions, but our first office at Paramount, because they didn't, when they brought us on, they didn't have a spare office because everybody was still there. So they're looking for a place to put us. And so our first office was a Lucille Ball cedar closet. Yeah. <laughs> and George Wendt had that had the office right before us. But, uh, what other show? Uh, According to Rotten Tomatoes, Right. Days of Wine and Ro Neurosis was your best episode. Yeah, that was the one that got nominated for an Emmy. Won the Emmy. 
but they do they put up two episodes i think i'll show you let me see this uh, here it is right here there it is is uh woody interrupt us mm. in the days of wine and neurosis that was yeah i mean listen just to have your name associated with anything that to do with with cheers whether it's below the line or whatever it's just you know I don't know. It's nice to have yeah. a golden globe, you know, but um, yeah, like I still can't believe that, you know, this happened. The, f the funniest story, um, Rich Hall won an Emmy for writing the Letterman morning show. Uh -huh. But by the time that, you know, by the time that happened, the show was canceled and he had lived and he was living in Los Angeles and it got mailed to NBC. <laughs> and he said that in NBC in office in Rockefeller Center, which is by the way, where my grandfather worked for 35 years, the post office, uh -huh. there is an actual area where Emmys that were not picked up by people who were who had canceled shows. <laughs> They're still probably just sitting there. Well, it's like you remember when Tony Randall won the Emmy? And for the Tony, Rand I don't know if it was for the Tony Randall show or if, or if it was for um, very odd couple, odd couple. They canceled the show the year that he won the Emmy. <laughs> he was confused by that. You know, he was another guy I got to work with on squares. Nice man. And, you know, and then you. It, I, I mention this to my wife all the time. It's just like I watch all these old movies on TCM and I think, God, I would have loved to ask, you know, Alexis Smith what it's like to work with Humphrey Bogart, you know, or it just the history of the people, you know, Mel Brooks used to do squares and mm. yeah. But at that time I was intimidated by, I couldn't go up to them and chat or anything and say, I'm a big fan of yours because I'm sure he gets that all the time. Right. And, you know, it just, what do you think of like storybook squares when they did those episodes? Yeah, well, they did it. I didn't do. I did rock and roll squares and and sports squares. Got to meet all these, you know, iconic, you know, baseball players. And I met Henry Aaron. That's cool. And and I, at the time, I didn't think here sign this baseball or I never did any of that. Yeah, <laughs> I got a couple of pictures of some. You know, the picture of William Crow and ones with, uh, you know, uh, Sheldon Leonard I and mean, people that I got to have a picture with this guy. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I think Sheldon Leonard's last TV appearance was the Cheers episode where he, where the Gary's Old Town Tavern episode after you left. Oh, okay. I didn't. We were probably at Rock doing Rock. Yeah, I, thought yeah. the, I thought the show got weird. I, I, you know, I just got cartoony. Yeah, it, the last season or so, it just, I don't know. It didn't have a, I don't know. I liked Paul, though. I thought Paul was a good addition. Uh huh. I thought, I, I thought the Robin Colcord season was good. Mm. You know, with Kirstie, who's gone. That was another one. And that was, Mert said that that was one of the people that he loved working with the most. He got a telegram from her when you guys were doing rock, asking you guys to come back. Who for? Kirsty said that that rock. Yeah. Oh, Kirsty either called um, Mert and you at rock and said come back. No, rock called us. Charles Dutton called us. Okay. We were Warner Brothers, right? We even on rock. Maybe maybe she called. Oh, you're right. There were two times that this happened. One time was. The Kirsty saying come back because she didn't like what was going on with the show. And then she tried to get us on the show later called Veronica's Closet, the show that she did. So we went through this whole Scientology thing to get that, you know, what was weird. <laughs> Not really what. And uh, Kirsty, for all her wackiness, was adorable. She was a good person. She was kind, generous, you know, she was a really special person. She's and, so talented. Yeah, and she just. She was one of us, you know what I mean? She'd get, yeah, she didn't get, act. Get down and dirty. Yeah, she didn't act like a star or any of that stuff, you know? 
I remember she took Mert once. She said, Come with us. I don't know if he told you this. He took she took him for a weekend up to some place in Oregon or wherever she had another house, you know. And she says, I'm, I'm kidnapping uh yeah. Mert for the weekend. I said, yeah. just as long as you don't bring him back a Scientologist. <laughs> she laugh about it. You know, you could joke with her about anything. He um, told me he didn't tell me that part. He told me that, that he he, uh, he and her and Parker Stevenson <laughs> had a weekend in Oregon. Right. That's right. <laughs> and I remember one time she wanted us they, to the, the what were they doing this Earth Day thing, and she wanted us to write something for her. So we went over to meet with her at her place in Encino, which was the old Al Jolson Ruby Keeler estate that she had bought. And they're up in the and it's coming up to their wherever this room, and they're both getting massages. <laughs> I saw Kirsty naked. I guess that's something, you know. Very attractive lady. Yeah. No, she was great. Um, you credited for the Earth Day special cheers segment. Yeah, we did. We did a few things. Uh, yeah, and then it was for Disney. Yes. And then they sent us all. I remember they sent us all this merchandise, but no money. No money. Well, we did it for that. No, I know, but that's what Ken Levine said. All this merchandise, but no money. Ken. Sounds like Ken. Who's another guy? I mean, you know, the, these guys are, you know, mishpuka, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know if you could tell from my name, but yeah, I know Jew. <laughs> we're all Jewish, even if we're not, you know. So. <laughs> uh, except for Roger Waters. He's an animal. Oh, my God, yeah, I was just going to bring that. I was just going to say, except for Roger Waters. And Eric Clapton. They're both, you know. And anyway, David, David Gilmore is my favorite guy. Uh, George Carlin was my hero growing up. Him and Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, uh, did you ever work with him on uh, Hollywood Squares, Rodney? Oh, yeah. And Rodney and I used to go to the same shrink. And so he would have his appointment before me. And I heard one day him leaving the office, okay, Doc, I'll see you Monday. And... <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, was that who I think? He says, yeah, he doesn't care. And then Mert and I were in Vegas. We The Cheers did a Vegas weekend, and he was shooting craps in his bathrobe, and we were talking to him. He was always in his bathrobe. Yeah, and uh, Carlin, did Mert tell you the Carlin story? He told me a lot of Carlin stories. Which one? The bad one? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, this is one. Like um, I, I it, you can you can email me and tell me to cut it out if you change your mind if it's that bad. This is the the not. I'll tell you what really no. happened. Personal story. That's why it's okay for me oh. to tell you. I'm no. not talking about somebody else. When we came on the show, we were working at Warner Brothers, and we had a deal there. And our deal there was Warner Brothers, and there was Lorimar, and they the man running. Warner Brothers, our deal was a man named Harvey Shepard, and the guy running Lorimar was a guy named Les Moonves. Mm. We, we, when we left Rock and we were looking for a deal, we met with both of them. Les Moonves said, um, you know, you have to, if you guys don't sell a show, then I can put you on Full House or Hanging with Mr. Cooper or any of these shows to fulfill your, your deal. And Harvey said, no, you guys sell a show, you just keep writing what you want to create because he was a big fan of rock. And anyway, so we went with Harvey. And Les, being the thug he was, muscled and got Harvey out, and he became the head of the whole studio. Well, they were doing they were doing the George Carlin show through Lorimar at Warner Brothers on Fox. And Sam was, it was his show. He was running the show. And he was going through a lot of hell. There was the big earthquake. He lost his home in the earthquake. He was getting divorced from Jennifer Tilly. And he was suing Jim Brooks for his share of the Simpsons money. So he was like a mess. And they put us on the show. He said, I want Merton Bryan to come work on the show. Help me out. So they put us on the show. And I was glad to do it because it's Sam, you know, I want to work with him. And I thought the show was pretty good. So we did an episode. And then one day Sam says, here, I want you guys to rewrite this script. And it was a script that George's brother Patrick had written. 
about, you know, they put in a food, they put in a pinball machine or something. It was, and he said, and I said, what do you want? He said, do a page one rewrite on it, but don't tell anybody, you know, it's just because we're going to use Patrick's script. We'll read it. We'll do a couple of days of rehearsal and then, you know, it'll be time to pull the plug on it and we'll shoot your script. So they do it, you know, he, they do the table reading and it, bombs at the table reading but george is very protective of his brother so they put it on its feet and they do the first day with you know the notebook with their scripts in their hand they don't change anything and then they do the next day and it's the same thing and even the cast members are going hey, this is kind of weird what are we doing and then sam puts our script on and they it works a little better and they we do the rewrite on it the guy still gets his name on it and whatever, but it's totally, you know, a page one rewrite. We shoot the show. After the show, they would always go up to this restaurant uh, in Toluca Lake, Jimmy's or something, and they have the cast would go up there. So George says, yeah, we're going to go, but I don't want those two guys coming. <laughs> so he wouldn't let us come to the party because we were, but sam is a, i mean you know what i'm saying it's like it's your I, assignment yeah yeah but so they didn't get along at all what but from what i've heard george carlin and sam simon didn't get along at all yeah george like said these real bad things about sam because sam look i think sam was brilliant i think i think he was really a genius the guy was just so funny and just you know, he drew half of the characters on The Simpsons were his drawings. <laughs> he was really a smart guy and and he told you how he felt. He was very honest. And I'm sure he stood up to George and said, nah, let's do it this, you know, and George Carlin is George Carlin and probably thought, who's this guy telling me what's funny or what I can do, you know, because it was sort of based on George's character. Um, anyway, that was the... and. I was a huge fan of George Carlin. I used to watch him when I was a kid on Ed Sullivan when he did the Hippie Dippy Weatherman, Al Sleet. And I, we, my brother and I would mimic him, you know. Tonight it's going to be dark. You know, we'd do all those old bits. And he, you know, it wasn't, if you go on his wiki page, he says something bad about Sam. You know, oh, Sam had problems or whatever. Not Sam didn't have problems. Sam was Sam. You know, that's who he was. I, I remember one time on the show, some network executive gave Sam a note. And in front of everybody, Sam said to the guy, you know, you're too smart to make a comment like that. <laughs> and it, one time the guy came up and he said, hey, Brian, can you give Sam the notes? He was afraid to, you know, but, it, you know, it's who he was. It, you know, it comes with, you know, who he was. I don't know. Anyway, that kind of hurt, you know, it really hurt because, you know, I thought we were making his brother's script better. You know, anyway, I, this, I didn't know that story until later. I didn't know, you know, about the party or any of that stuff until later. Somebody told me with the Sam or somebody told me about it. It wasn't that day, you know, I'd heard later. Well, you guys went, well, what about us? Oh, George didn't want you to go. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I always kind of stuck with me, you know, because it never happened before. Right. I, well, I did a show called Sister, Sister, where we were showrunners, and we were always really kind to the writing staff. We wanted the shows to look well because we were to, to work. And there was this uh, one writer, and she, she turned in a draft, and Mert and I did a number on it, you know, and I guess she had a couple of lines left in it. And they, for some reason, they aired it as the first show of the season. So it got reviewed, it got picked up, it got reviewed in the uh, TV guide or whatever variety. And it got a rave, you know, oh, this script by so-and-so, script Chris Turner is very funny, da-da-da-da-da. And she was Xeroxing the reviews, handing them out to people, <laughs> wait a minute. You know, maybe be a little low key about this. Anyway, you know, so, yeah. 
a couple other things. Um, you worked with one of my favorite people I got to talk to because he just so much. We had so much fun that we, we actually went like five hours and I had to cut it down. Bob Isles. I just saw him today. He's my. I just saw Bob today. We were working on it. We wrote a couple of scripts together already. We wrote this uh, movie called Our Men in Argentina. That we're a feature. We're trying to get you know somebody to look at. Oh yeah, but I've known Bob forever. He he was so funny. I just had to cut. I didn't want to get him canceled, so I had to cut a lot of stuff out. Well, he's a he, my brother knew him for my brother passed away two and a half years ago, and he he knew Bob from USC, and they were friends. They used to do this radio show, you know, on Stein and Isles, Stein and Isles, and then sometimes it would be Pollock and Isles with my with Isles, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, Bob is I've known him fifty years. <laughs> He was just telling me great stories about Sherman Hemsley. Oh, yeah. Well, we did that good behavior together. Right. That was the last show Sherman did. Sherman was another great guy, you know, who people took advantage of. And yeah, Bob, wow. I told I just saw Bob. I said, I'm going to be on this. I'm doing this podcast today. Oh, wow. And oh, you, you didn't say what you didn't say what it was called. Your name. Oh. I forgot to say your name. Well, he now I'm going to I'll email him as soon as we get off. It, <laughs> I remember this because it was one the only time I ever did it at night because you know he's in with you, so yeah. it was like we started nine o'clock at, at in New York and it was like two o'clock in the morning and I'm like I gotta go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well he has great stories. I mean he's Bob has been a good friend for you know and you know he he helped a lot on you know we took over sister sister you know he he helped us a lot. Because we didn't have much help from the other writers. <laughs> what, what was it like working on something that was considered the worst show ever? You worked on Cheers, which is considered one of the best shows ever. But then The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Okay. The Secret Diary of, of Desmond Pfeiffer was not the worst show. It was I, hilarious. I never saw it. I never saw it. Kevin Smith is always referencing it in his stuff. That we used to, when we filmed the show, Max Baker, um, Dan Florick, uh, we had all these great actors. Chai McBride's funny. What's that? Oh, and Chai McBride. The show, we, we filmed the show and we'd get such laughter that we, we had to stop tape because people were laughing so much. It was, it was, the reason the show was called was a whole big, to do about the fact that we were doing a show that took place during the Civil War. Right. We never talked about slavery. He was a butler, right? Yeah, he was He was the smartest man in Lincoln's White House. You know, Grant was a drunk. You know, Mary Todd was, you know, high on an ether rag. Right. You, know, it, it, you know, Lincoln was a, a womanizer. It, you know, and he was the guy keeping. It was a comedy, and it was, it was Benson. Yeah, it was funny. Mm. And these organizations said, "Well, you can't do a show about the Civil War, a comedy." Well, did they ever hear of uh, Hogan's Heroes? Those are Hogan's Heroes. But you know, those were not Jews, though. <laughs> no, I, I understand, but. You, you can say that, you know, Nazis, you know, would right. same thing as saying, you know, the Union, the, you know, the Confederacy, you know, I don't know. It, it, and then, of course, the people at whatever, what network was it on? It was like UPN. UPN. You know, they folded, you know, oh, okay. It was their first year, I think. Yeah. What well, was called Yopian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and they would say, I was in a meeting with, uh, who was the guy? Oh, Tom Mazza, I think he was the thing. Oh, yeah, we're going to put this show on uh, on UPN because black people like free TV. That's what this guy said, Paramount. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's uh, it's changed, though, now, I mean, at least, you know, because they, they actually have network shows with a black cast. And we were the first to do it with rock, to have mm. a black I think. Well, I mean, middle not, class. He was, he was lower middle class. Middle class. Yeah, but with Broadway trained actors. Yeah. 
I remember one episode of Rock, we came in and, and uh, I, uh, I had a dental appointment, I remember. And Merck calls me on the phone. He says, you got to get in here. Although the writers, they won't rehearse the script. Charles Dutton, he's, he's locked. They're in the dressing rooms and they're not coming out. So I rushed back from my dental appointment. And he, I forgot who wrote the script. And he said, this isn't a script. This is a script for the cast of the Jeffersons. <laughs> He throws it down. We're not doing this. So we stayed up all day and all night rewriting the script. You know, I mean, you, you have to do what they want, but um, yeah, there's some pretty, uh, pretty hairy situations. That was a good show, Rock, though. It was a great show. I mean, it, and when they went live for that, well, that was the thing is that we did the first live one, only one, right? And then they all of a sudden they had this, you know, idea. Oh, let's do them all live. No, it, and it they stopped doing that after I think I think they only did it one year, didn't they? The, the second they, season was live. Yeah, the, we did the first year, and the, yeah, and the, there was one episode in the first season that was live. Right, that's which we did, and right. then the second season all live, and then I think they went back to videotape. I think it used to be film, and then I think they started shooting it on digital tape or something. I don't know. They, the thing was a mess. And Charles Dutton, I'll never forget this, called us up. Please come back. Please come back and do the show. And we couldn't because, I mean, we were at Warner Brothers, which is also the owned HBO. So, you know, it was still the same company. Yeah. And we couldn't get out. And I wouldn't have left anyway. I mean, it was just, you know, by then it was poisoned, I thought. And Mark told me that told me that Charles Dutton wanted him back. Yeah, we were on, we were both on the phone and Dutton was talking to us and saying, guys, come back, you know, we need you here, you know, it didn't work. And, and uh, I think, and then where I was living at the time, Charles was living up the street from me and I would run into him every now and then. Mm. And he would say, oh God, I regret me, you guys left. Oh, I wish you guys had stayed. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's nice to hear, but I would have rather heard it then <laughs> Mert's only thing he said about um George Carlin show was was how much fun it was to hang around with Brian Doyle and Murray. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was great. He was another guy. Just you know, he's anything that comes out of his mouth, you're laughing. Just you know. Rob Long told me that um he was on that show, uh, I forgot the, the bar show that Rob Long created for TBS, and he was a regular, and instead of a dressing room. He asked for a, uh, you know, a golf area with outside, so he could just practice golf. <laughs> Sounds like. What show was Rob to do? Or was that Sullivan Inch and Son? Okay, I never. A father and son who owned a bar. Okay. And they tried he... to do that with. I did punch up on a pilot with. Uh, with the same idea with Mort and Barry, Mort, Nathan and Barry Fanero, they did the show and it was Dan Hedaya as the father and Rob Lowe as the son who owned a bar. Dan Hedaya is, no, not Dan Hedaya, no, Dan Loria was the, oh, was the father from, oh, the, from the Wonder Years. Oh, yeah, but this was, you know, Dan Hedaya. From, and, yeah, from, from Cheers. Yeah, and from uh, the, the Tortellas. Tortellas. Uh, yeah, it didn't work. He, he had problems with the show. I remember because Mert and I did a, a couple of days of punching it up, you know. It mm. just didn't happen. <laughs> Sue Craigsman said that working on the Tortellis was your penance for being on Cheers. <laughs> no, I, I remember the show when we came on. I think it was the okay. season after the Tortellis. Yeah. And you know the story about uh, Jay Thomas and Rhea Perlman, right? I know that story. That's one guy I wish he was alive to, I mean, I wish a lot of people were alive, but I wish he was alive so I could got to talk to him. Yeah, what an idiot. No, no, but no filter though. Can you imagine he's on the radio and, and he says that and she hears it? Oh my God. And everyone said, Ken Levine had to write the episode and he, he said that she's such a sweetheart. Yeah, Rhea was, I had a really good relationship with Rhea because, well, 
she helped my daughter get into this private school you know her kids were at and she wrote this glowing letter to my daughter and uh i think she was she even came to my daughter's bat mitzvah <laughs> went to uh and then recently we i was living um in the same and i would run into her we were living in the same uh neighborhood and i would see her every now and then now, they named their kids after lucille ball and gracie allen right Oh, I didn't know that. I know they're Lucy and Gracie, but no, I, I'm asking you. I thought you would no, know. No, I don't know. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Could be. I, I would run into the to Lucy, and my daughter was at the same school with her for a couple of years. Mm. Um, yeah, I would see them. And Danny, somebody sent me a picture uh, of all of them. Woody Harrelson opened this pot place in West Hollywood called the Woods. Mm. a dispensary i mean it takes up a half a block it's got a restaurant and you can smoke inside and some west hollywood passed this law where you can smoke weed in a in a building whatever and so he sent me a picture that ria ted and his wife mary steenburgen um george went and a couple of other random people were were at the place smoking weed so. <laughs> I've never had. I went through my whole life. I've never done any drug. Never smoked marijuana. But I, I said, if I met Snoop Dogg, if I met Willie Nelson, or if I met Woody Harrelson, I'd have to. Uh huh. Or Paul McCartney. Well, not <laughs> just not in Japan. <laughs> no. Yeah. That. Uh, well, that was Woody's dream. I think is to you know open a pot store. <laughs> And did you work on a nine-inch nail? Was that you? That oh, that's some other Brian Pollock, I think. They, yeah, there's a couple of other credits that they have that aren't mine. And I National Ge Geographic Explorer. Yeah, okay. But I can't, you know, I've written them. I said there, there's a mistake, and, and I get no response back. I've even tried to contact the other Brian Pollock. <laughs> you have to actually, I found this out, you actually have to, it's almost like, um, Twitter. You have to be a member. You have to pay to be to be one of the people who gets to change things on IMDb. Oh, okay. Because I I know some writers who make fake credits on their friends' uh, pages as oh. their jokes. Oh god! And they only let you do that. I, I um I've actually gotten stuff like you can tell what people think about themselves. Right. Yeah. Like, they have like a biography. Right. And then under, and it'll say written by, and it'll be the person who it's about. Right, who's the guy? Like, so what do you do besides podcast? Okay, I'm a, uh, I am a New York City high school teacher. Okay. I, I teach uh, government and economics. Wow. That's why like Rob Long and I, we got along. We got to talk about, we, we talked about government and stuff like that. And, um, and uh, yeah, for 22 years. Wow. Did stand up for 10. At All right. Nice. So. You have a noble profession, actually. You know. Thank you. And you make you made America laugh. Oh, well, I tried. 40, uh, 45 million. Yeah. Each week. And the Simpsons episode you wrote also. Right. That was from, uh, was that Al Jean asked you to do it? Or. Yeah, we, we always wanted to write an episode of The Simpsons, and, and so they, they gave us one. Mm. And uh, and then we went off and we did this terrible movie called Boat Trip. Yeah. Right. But it was a great vacation, you know. I got to see the world, you know. With Oscar winner Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> I got stories for another podcast. And uh, Horatio Sands, who's very funny. Yeah, Horatio, and yeah, I mean, there were a lot of great people on the show. It just didn't make sense. It just was bad. But he liked Merton. He liked us. I don't know why, <laughs> but he but he did. You know, he liked us because he knew we were trying to do a good show. Right. We really were, and he appreciated it. That's pretty much in every interview all he seemed to care about. Yeah, he, yeah. Well, his whole thing was he was in solitary, he got a book of, Black plays and found his humanity, his own humanity. And he's a great actor. I mean, he's. And he also had that thing like Bob Newhart, no babies. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, yeah, he's a, he's a real deal. He's a, 
I don't know where he is now, what he's doing. He was directing for a while. He was directing The Wire, I think. He did a few episodes of that. The and he's Corner, still the Corner, I think it was called. Good guy, good guy. And another one, you know, this for some reason that he liked me and Murray. I don't know why. Maybe because we're from Detroit, <laughs> Motown. Yeah. I like the Lions. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, huh? They, they could be good this year. Yeah. My, my father made the mistake. Because I'm from New York, he's from New York. But the owner of the of the the Giants, if it wasn't a sellout, he would black the game out. Uh huh. So the only games you could watch were Lions, Bears, Lions, Packers, or Packers Bears. So he chose the Lions, and this is when in '58, '59, '60 they were the best team. Uh huh. But was, not since then. I know Alex Karras used to live up the street from me. He used to oh. see. I used to see him and his wife, Susan Clark. I used to live up in my first marriage. I, I lived in this area. It just so happened that there were a lot of, you know, celebrities who, you know, who lived there. And, you know, you go to the market and you'd see like Anthony Perkins, you know, in the fruit section of <laughs> Gelson's or, and I, I remember on the, I take my daughter to school and all the four corners of this stop sign, there was Sally Kellerman lived there. Across the street were, were um, Jenna Rollins and John Cassavetes. And then um, to the left was Katie Lang and Alex Kers and Susan Clark. It was like That's an odd party. You no, know, I know. And they'd be walking there. Oh, Tony Perkins lived down the street. Was, hmm. but, yeah. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Hey, thank you, man. It was fun. Yeah. All right. And um, I'll tell you when this is going to come out. All right, I'll Facebook you. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Take care.